You know, I want to share with you as, as I come into the new year and as I welcome the new year and as you welcome the new year, I inevitably welcome the new year as an eternal optimist. I tell you, when, I, when the new year comes, I mean, when that ball falls down, you know, in Times Square, or when the fireworks go off on the top of the reunion uh, tower, or, or, you know, I turn the calendar page, or I start writing 2018 on whatever forms I have to fill out, there's something within me that's kind of a spark of hope. You know, that I say, you know, there's something within me that says, well, it's a clean slate. It's a, it's a fresh start. It, it is a new beginning. That there are possibilities that are out there. That there are, are things that are ahead that are going to be good. I tell you, I inevitably embrace the new year as an eternal optimist. And the form that that takes for me, and maybe for you too, is resolutions. And now, I don't make like tons of resolutions, but I tell you, I do make one or two. It's just kind of a tradition that I have just something that I do. And, and maybe you make some resolutions as well. You know, I, I look at my life and say, you know, my life would be better this year if I did, you know, and, and well, if I read 10 books, you know, maybe expand my way of thinking and you kind of broaden how I see some things. And that would be good. I'd read 10 books. Or, or maybe I'd start to do sit-ups. You know, that's always been one of my resolutions. Turn the flab into abs. And, and I'm not looking for a six-pack, but a one-pack would be okay. You know, <laughs> uh, I would get carried away with things. But you know how it is. Or, or you know, you start thinking, golly, I... I know for me, I need to do better in terms of keeping in touch with my relatives, you know. So I, I need to, like, send them a text or make a call or a visit or, you know, I just need to be better. That's all. So I think about, you know, what I need to be doing to make my life better in the next year. So, so I make those resolutions. And I make them every year because I'm an eternal optimist. I stand before you as an eternal optimist and I stand before you as a repeat offender. Because here's what happens, you know, and you already know what happens, you know, I make them, and then I break them. I make them, and, and, and I break them, and they go up in smoke so fast, you know, maybe yours happened that way as well. It is, they just, you know, you make them with all good intention, and man, they're disappeared, you know, really quick, you know. You think the Mavs have a bad record in basketball? Well, I tell you, uh, oh, for whatever I am in terms of resolutions or one in terms of resolutions, it, it is not a pretty sight. It, it's not a, a good record. You know, I've thought about my record and resolutions, and it's something that, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud of. And I've, and I've thought about that. I thought, you know, why is that? You know, there is nothing wrong with the preferred picture that I'm holding up in my mind in terms of this is what would make my life better. You know, there's nothing wrong in terms of the picture. And so what I've concluded, there's, there must be something wrong in terms of the process. There must be something wrong in terms of the process about how I try to bring that resolution to pass. There's something, something's got to be kind of goofy and all that for me to end up every year in the same place. And so I begin to look at how I practice the resolutions, what my process is. And here's the process that I have, and maybe it's the process, if you're a resolution maker, maybe it's the process you have as well. And, and the process goes like this, you know, I start a list, and I write down, you know, here's the one thing I want to do, or here are the two things I want to do, and here are the four, five, six things that I need to do to make those one or two things happen. 
And so, if, let's say I want to read 10 new books, well, I have to decide on what those books are, and then I have to go out and I have to purchase the books, and then I have to make time in my schedule to read the books, and you know, you know how it goes, you, know, you make the list, and, and that's what you do, and uh, you know, same with the sit-ups and everything else, you know, you just, you, you list it down. And after I list it down, then what I do is have to rely on my willpower, or maybe my won't power. You know, my willpower, my willpower. With my willpower, if it's something good that I got to do, you know, I said, man, I, this is something that I'm going to make the effort to do. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, work on doing that. Or if it's a won't power, if I'm trying to say, well, I'm going to eat fewer Twinkies this year, if that's part of my, you know, uh, resolution. Well, I, that's my won't power. I need to say no every time that uh, Twinkie urge comes along. You know, and, and here's what I find. When I start relying on my willpower, when I start relying on my won't power, then what begins to happen is that there's another side of me as well. There's another part of me as well that when I say, well, I want to do that, then there's like this part of me that says, well, but, uh, you know, you got some other things to do, or, you know, you really like Twinkies, or those sit-ups are really hard, or, you know, whatever it is. You know, I have this part of me that wants to do it. I have this other part of me that says, you know, but there's a, re- there's a really good reason that I can give myself not to be about doing what I want to do. And so, you know, I have the willpower, and then I have the internal resistance there, or then I have that won't power. It says, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to, you know, go to that place, uh, eat more Twinkies. I don't want to do that, you know, and there's part of me, but you really love Twinkies, you know, you really like to do that. And so, you know, just give myself that excuse. And so what I find for me, and maybe what you find, is I get on this resolution merry-go-round. And the way the merry-go-round works is, you know, I want to, and I will, but then this part of me says, but, you know, or I won't. And I don't want to do, but then part of me says, you know, but, and you st- I start going around, the eternal optimist and the repeat offender. And it goes round and round, and I find myself on the resolution, merry-go-round. And the scripture this morning says this, to everyone that finds themselves on the resolution, merry-go-round, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, get off the merry-go-round. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, get off the merry-go-round. Because you see, progress is possible. Progress, that preferred future that you and I look at, that's a possibility. It is a real, true possibility in all of our lives. But to get to that place, to get to that progress, what we need to do is to change the way we think about change. To change the way we think about change, this phrase that's used in the scripture this morning is what we need is a renewal of our minds. I mean, that is a beautiful phrase. It kind of captures up a little bit of what Adam talked about last week. If you want to change the world, first thing you've got to do is change the way you look at the world. If you want to change yourself, first thing you've got to do is change the way you look at yourself. You know, if you want to change anything, first thing you've got to change is what's going on in between our ears. That's the first thing that needs to change, a renewal of our minds. And so as we look at the whole notion of change... The apostle invites us to begin to embrace a different notion, 
Often when I look at change, what I look at when I talk about change is behavior modification. It's about what I am going to do to change things in my life, to make my life better. It's about behavior modification. And, and you, know, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to change our lives, would that happen? You do need to change what we do. I mean, behavior modification is part of it. That's the end, but that's not the beginning. That's not where change starts. The apostle invites us to look deeper than that. He says, don't look at the behavior modification. Look at the motivation. Look at what is underneath. Begin to look at who we are because who we are and what we believe about our lives is what drives what we do. And so we begin to look at the modification, the, the motives that lead into the modifications. And so the word that the apostle uses this morning is this where he says, be ye transformed. He does not say, be ye modified. <laughs> not behavior modification. Character transformation. What he's talking about is something that's deep, something that's part of the condition of who we are, something that is within. And so he begins to approach change at that deep level because, you know, unless we approach it at the deep level, we approach it on the top, the surface level, we know that underneath it's all the same, so the top's always going to stay the same. He says you've got to go deep if you want to make substantial, substantive change. Transformation. I love the way King James, be ye transformed. And so when we begin to think about change and that notion of what's deep and substantial within us, you know, in our hearts as part of our character, what you begin to realize is that that kind of transformation, what it takes is the transcendent. See, you and I, when we think about changing ourselves on that deep level, that, that really doesn't work well. And oftentimes when we think about change, we do think about what am I going to do to change my life. And so often when we think about change, it's about self-improvement. It's about here's what I can do to make these kind of differences happen in my life. And then what the apostle says this morning is that, you know, as wonderful as that is, there is kind of a fallacy in that way of thinking. And the fallacy is this, that the object of change and the agent of change are the same thing. It's like the self is trying to change the self. The thing that's trying to make the difference is the thing that's actually, you know, being where the difference is trying to be made. Y'all kind of catch the drift on that? I mean, you can't be the object and you can't be the agent at the same time in relation to change. That we need something from without, someone who's bigger, someone who's greater than us to change something within in terms of who I am and who you are. And that's why the apostle says, present yourselves in the mercies of God. Trust in the mercies of God. Because it's God, our loving God, in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that desires to move in that deep way in my life and in your life to make the substantive changes, the progress that God would have for me, that God would have for you. That, I believe, is where the apostle is coming down. He says, be renewed in your thinking. Change the way you look at change. 
And when we begin to change the way we look at change, we begin to embrace that new model, what he does. He says, here's what we do. You just drop the list. You drop the list. See, because none of us need any more lists, do you? Anybody here need more lists? Anybody here need more things to do? Hold up your... No, no, nobody needs more lists. All lists do, if you're like me, just adds more stress. You know, there's one more thing to do makes my life a little bit more complicated. And, and that's not what's counseled in the scripture. You, you know, drop the list and trust God. Trust God by the mercies of God. That we have a God who wants to be at work in our lives doing what the scripture says this morning is good and is acceptable and is perfect to bring us into that wholeness and, and into that completion. That's the kind of God that we have. And so as we trust God, what we do in that trust is that we trust ourselves to God. It says, present yourselves. And I love the way I heard a phrase this last week, and it, it's a beautiful phrase. It says, present your 167 self to God. And here's what a 167 self is. See, we're here, there's 168 hours in the week, and we are here one hour of that 168. And so we're religious for the one hour, which is great. I want to applaud all of us in that. You know, that's a good thing. I'm not trying to discourage that. But, I, you know, what's being said here is when we present ourselves, we present our everyday, common, ordinary, from noon on on Sunday through midnight on Saturday, present yourself. Present myself, what I do day in and day out. Bring that self to God. I mean, God already knows that self anyway. It's just a matter of saying, God, here I am. This is what's happening in my life. This is what's going on. You know, I just kind of lay it out. Present your 167 self to God because that's what worship is really all about. That's what laying yourself, he calls it a living sacrifice. I mean, that's really where it happens. You know, that's where faith really hits the road. You and I know that. He says, bring that life. Give that life to God. Let God go to work right there. And so we bring that life and we present that life to God. And you drop the list. And as you drop the list, what I invite you to do is pick up one word. I invite you to pick up one word. One way that you would ask and pray God to work in your life. One word. Where you look inside of yourself at who you are, your character, the condition of your heart. And you say, you know, when I look at myself, this this one thing, it would make a difference for me in this next year. And God, if I have part of my prayers, one thing I would pray is that you would begin to work this in my heart. This is what I need worked, God, you know. One word. What would that word be? What would that word be for you? Would it be resilience? Because you've gone through some hard times and you need some bounce back? Would it be courage? Because you would look at what's ahead 
and you say, you know what, I'm going to need some fortitude to kind of take on what I see coming up. Would it be patience? What would your one word be? You know, I've thought about this because I've been preparing my message and um, my word's going to be breathe. Because sometimes I just need to breathe. Sometimes I need to breathe. The word could be a noun. Could be an adjective. Could be an adverb. Could be a verb. I mean, I've heard, I've, you know, in the study book that kind of if you like to read along, you can see in the bottom of the bulletin, there's the read along with this. One of the words that somebody picked along the way was SpongeBob. And there's a story behind that. You know, it could be anything, but it's, it's the one way that when you look at your life, you say, God, this is where I'm going to ask you to work. And so what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to invite us to think about the one word. And you may be here this morning saying, well, you know, I know what my word would be. And maybe you know a one word for you already. Or maybe you say, hey, I need to think about that. There's some things I need to kind of consider when I think about my one a word. Or maybe you say, once I choose the word, well, what do I do with it then? Or maybe you say, you know, how once it, you know, once I choose it and once I move forward with it, you know, how do I continue to carry it forward? And friends, we're going to spend a month looking at the one word, how to choose the word, how to cultivate the word, how to carry forward with the word. We're going to take a month to do that. And the challenge is to take that word and to live into that word for a year. You say, a year? That's a long time. I want to tell you, friends, transformation is not instantaneous. <laughs> transformation of our lives takes time. And what you find as you live into that one word, that one prayer that you have for your life, that God works in that. I mean, that's what the scripture is about all this morning. God works in that. God transforms in that. And so we're going to take one word, look at it for one month, live into it for one year. And the reason we're going to do that is because it's worth it. It's because you are worth it. Because the change in your life is worth it. Your one word, where God would do that one work, that would be so worth it to you and to me because the scripture this morning goes like this. Brothers and sisters, I urge you, I beg you by the mercies of God, present yourself, your 167 self to God. That's your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed everything else going around. Don't worry about the list. Be transformed. Let God go to work in you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the change in the way you look at change in your life, by the renewing of your mind that you may be living proof of what is the will of God. What is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. This is the word of God.
for the people of God. Thanks be to God.